0: Hello, I'm Rob Hirschfeld, CEO and co-founder of RackN, and your host for the Cloud 2030 Podcast. Today's episode is about generative DevOps. We dive deeply into the question of whether or not generative AI can be used to productively change DevOps automation and the control of infrastructure. We've discussed in the past the closed loop side of using AI to manage infrastructure In this episode, we really dive into the idea of creating automation, of building new automation, new systems using generative AI, the generative part of how all these things work. This is a topic that I am exploring and will be writing about quite a bit. Um, And this is part of my process of exploring and discussing how this new AI ML models and expertise might transform the IT landscape. It's a fascinating conversation, and I know you'll enjoy it.
1: Y'all want to shift over to the, this, this crazy idea I have uh, for generative DevOps? Yes. Um, I, <laughs> um, I'm, I'm curious, just even at the basic level of, like, uh, even before I define it, like is what does the term make sense to any of y'all? Do you know what I mean?
2: Probably sort of the same thing as AI ops. I'd imagine similar fashion of uh, a bit buzzwordy, but kinda gets the, the idea across.
1: <laughs> so I I mean AI ops to me has, has ended up being like you know, log log parsing. Uh, where do you where you can you expand where do you where do you see the, the overlap or maybe aops is should I should be thinking of it as more than it than it, than it
2: is so depending upon the vendors some of it you get things like advanced uh event correlation uh, to your point from a, a logging standpoint um, but in yeah. theory the idea would have been I think more akin to something like uh let's take a Gke's autopilot something where it's really looks to try to bring more of an autonomous nature to the operations side of almost, almost akin to a self-healing, some of those sort of constructs. So, I mean, but that, that,
1: that is to, back to, Oops. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> if I can make that work because it thinks I'm in twice. Um, that's that's not writing for you. I guess maybe this is part of where I'm where AIOps strikes me as as running the system versus um, this idea that I might might be able to create the automation. That's that's where that's where my mind went with the difference between like an AI ops thinking which is much more of a control ops approach versus like actually building the scripts, building the automation.
3: Makes sense.
2: Um, it's definitely yeah. a, a lot to unpack there. <laughs>
1: That, well, because right when I think of that degenerative stuff, it's you're you're using the the le- learning models to create, you know, coding or language or right writing or things like that. Like you're 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 building up the systems versus um, expert system like putting an expert systems behind or cor- helping you with correlation. It, it's it's, a cre- it's it's a it's it's a Feels different to me. That's what the whole chat GPT thing feels different than AI as in, in we talked about in
4: the back. I think the challenge is going to be that with existing systems, uh, like all scalers, and so like, uh, like anything else that's um, programmatic, there are clearly defined boundaries. And, and in fact, even more so if you use a DSL that has built in boundaries in addition to the ones, uh, provided by whatever API you have. Um, with generative AI, we're, we're going in the other direction where, uh, or at least currently we are going in the other direction where you're throwing the boundaries out the window, uh, which is a double edged sword. It, uh, it does allow you more flexibility in what the result is, and sometimes that can be not necessarily novel, but at the least uh, more more efficient. But um, ensuring compliance is going to become a lot harder with that. What? The,
1: wait.
4: What type of compliance? Like a, like a system compliant. Let's say you, you, you have a system Ah, that, 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 that needs to meet certain constraints, like whether it's be in in a certain uh, location or have certain access restrictions or certain firewall rules. Um, if it's, if it's done generatively, uh, at what level does, do those constraints come, come in place? Uh, Like, and if you if you provide them beforehand, like uh, as input to the generative system, how do you verify that they are being kept? Uh, And and the system is not is not saying like, oh well, like if if I leave this one bit out, everything else will be so much simpler. So there you go. That's oh my, there's a element of ah, I hadn't even
1: thought about the constraint optimization problem. you could end up with. Like this is when, when generative AI does coding, there's times when it's missing boundary conditions or it doesn't, right? There's, there's, there's constraints that have to be factored in. Do you, I mean, just in practical terms, could we, uh, generate an Ansible playbook to install something? Would that be like, I, I, this is, we're about to start trying this to see if it's possible. Um, how different is that than writing code? Maybe, maybe I I know Palumi just did an announcement about a whole bunch of generative capabilities, and Palumi is much more code-like than an Ansible playbook or something like that. What's you know, can it be done? And then, then I then I have secondary questions about what the impacts are.
3: Okay, so playbook, I don't think that's a problem. You just keep feeding it different playbooks. That uh, and, and showing it, uh, I would assume the, uh, uh, the logs that go with it that demonstrate it worked or didn't work and it could uh, use those patterns and, and do it. Things like um, recovery from uh, uh, fault, that's something totally out of its uh, capabilities. But generating a playbook, yeah. You
1: could do that. Does that reduce the expertise you need in Ansible to make that, like, would you, could we trust that Klaus's point about constraints? Could we trust a, a generative, you know, that, that to me is generative DevOps. Could we trust generative DevOps to build functional playbooks?
2: question is who's validating the inputs? Oftentimes the challenge is that I've seen is, let's say we're doing, we're doing Ansible and I got a team full of uh, Linux folks. And now it's like, hey, we got to do something for Windows. And everybody's like, well, nobody really knows Windows well. And so, I think it's so easy to run into the, those same sorts of dilemmas of like, okay, now, now who feeds it the Windows data?
1: Actually, that to me, there's a generative DevOps opportunity to say, hey, this works in Bash. Can you write it in PowerShell for me? <clears throat> but dude, I, I, the list on that would be amazing. But, yeah, do we? how do we know that it works? I mean, it's the same question you'd have for generating code with generative AI. You're going you're to have to run it. You're going to have to check the
4: results. Well, you not only have to mm-hmm. to check that it works, you have to check that it works well. So again, this, this mm-hmm. historical has been the domain of QA, uh, where I mean, depending on how in depth you go, you either uh, have your set of boundary uh, conditions that you're testing, or like if you if you really do take it an extreme, you, you do fuzzing and ensure that. It's still a response within parameters. But um, I, it's, not, it's not only that necessary to check that it works because, sure, anyone can take one language and, and, and sort of map it into another language. But I mean, uh, uh, as people who have lived through companies that have attempted to do a lift and shift to the cloud, we know that's not a one-to-one.
1: This is, it, it's a, it's a balance because this is what I'm trying to figure out from an expertise perspective. Um, it's, you actually need more expertise to evaluate whether something that somebody else wrote is that works and is valid. Um, it's well, it's not more expertise. It's, it's in some ways a harder problem to validate something and cover all the edge cases than it is to, uh, you know, write it and think you got think you got it all correct. Um, but man, if, if generative AI could build it, you know, next time I need an Ansible playbook, type in, a, "Hey, I want to install," um, you know, MySQL, and and it could go and literally and build a you know usable playbook. Uh, that would be cool. There's a question in my head of instead of building one, it should actually just go get one out of the library and evaluate the you know, the four different ones that are or 400 different ones that are available. Um, or maybe even better yet, look at all 400 and then synthesize. This is where it would be generated and synthesize the best out of all
4: of them. Uh, I and mean, since you bring up my, my SQL, uh, I mean, that, that's a stateful yep. system which brings out a whole other host of problems with it. Because if you, unlike declarative systems or ephemeral ones, uh, if you make a mistake, you, you can't just roll back and and um, and, and change the config. Uh, you, you may be facing data loss. yeah no there's. Okay.
1: I could could you? I mean, like what you're making me think of is you could take a. You, could you take an existing playbook and say, "I need you to make this item potent." Uh, I, mean, I mean, that wow! If you could, that would be really cool. Or even identify where it's not. I don't. I don't. I I have trouble figuring out what the boundaries would be. I
4: I mean I I th- I think identifying where it's not should not be an AI. An AI task, like that, that is a form of verification methods job. Um, we, well, we, I mean, yeah, like where where you we need We're, to demonstrate beyond doubt that this is the case. Uh, I mean,
1: yeah. I mean, you, but could you, you? People are using generative AI to review a writing sample and give you crit- critique. I mean, just just being able to say critique my ansible you know, my playbook.
4: Oh, yeah, that that um, is much more viable. There. Yeah, um,
2: no, but that feels like lending tools again, though.
4: <laughs> yeah, that
1: doesn't yeah. feel generative to me. That, I, it,
4: go ahead, Rocky.
3: So it is kind of like uh, uh, lint and all the other stuff, but that would be the mm-hmm. uh, critique. Would probably be the place to start. You could generate them. The the giant elephant in the room is supply chain exploits when you've got this extremely opaque tool creating the book, the playbook. So supply chain exploits become (laughs) really uh, of concern.
4: Yeah, I, I'm mentally drawing a parallel between trusting an AI with instructions on on, on how to configure or maintain a system uh, with uh, trusting some random person in an IRC channel 20 years ago. <laughs> like, yeah, I like, install this software. It does exactly what you need to do.
2: Ah,
1: I, it should be, I mean, realistically, you should be able to learn... So weird. It, this feels. This is where it feels weird to me. Uh, you should be able to t- ingest a whole bunch of config files for something and then learn, right? What good config files look like. That that, but you,
3: right. And you can do that. And that. But,
1: but they're but they're already driven by the the system and the docs. And so like like generate. This is where my head exploded originally on this whole idea. It's like it, read the doc. You know. <laughs> If generated if gener, if a generative playbook isn't actually reading maybe this is what it should be doing isn't it should be ingesting the mySqL docs and then you know but I don't think that that's not what this these models do. It's not like it's reading the MySQL docs and then creating the Ansible playbook based on its understanding of the documentation it's
4: it's
3: Yes, reading, pattern matching. Learning. That's all it's doing. Realize that it's
4: yeah. pattern matching. <laughs> it, it is reading the blog posts of of all these people saying like this is how you do this is <laughs> your, like your Ansible tutorial, I, and and it's literally doing that because I, I I I've had ChatGPT generate an Ansible playbook to install something, I, I, like a, a computer a Kubernetes cluster, and the more I read through it, the more I realized that it was just a bastardized copy of Kubernetes the hard way. It, 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 it injected <laughs> a couple of things here and there, but the, the skeleton was the same. Oh, that makes perfect sense.
1: <laughs> so, so it's going to be very confident based on, on people's log entries. Yeah, because yeah, you're not actually feeding at a whole bunch of real uh, playbooks. That perspective, the learning set. So, in, in that sense, the learning set's too big for us to do this. You're actually going to need a more curated. This is one of the things. One of the things that makes me nervous about this is the idea that you your the, the training set is on inaccurate pieces. And could you do that training set on a more curated set? Well,
4: well I mean, I I don't think the training set is. Huh being big is necessarily the problem. But the bigger problem is that it's not getting expert feedback when something is wrong. Like You and I, we, we, at some point, we were juniors. Everyone here was at some point a junior or, or is a junior mm-hmm. in, in, in sort of a certain field. And I, I mean, when we, when we learned to do something, like, yeah, many times we go out on internet and, and copy and paste something from, from someone else because it, it's it like a reasonable <laughs> yeah. template to start with. Uh, and then we iterate. And then either through our own practice, we figure out, okay, this doesn't work for XYZ reason. Or we have a peer that reviews it for us and, and, and says, yeah, you shouldn't be doing this. Do this other thing instead. ChatGPT does not have that feedback loop. At least not, not to my knowledge. It, it, it may have adjustment based on your own preferences, but we don't have, uh, like a set of su- subject matter experts that, that chat GPT can, can reference and say, like, did what I, pre- does what I produce look reasonable? It, it, it just goes out with the full confidence of, of a junior fresh out of high school and says, like, I am the best in the world.
1: The, uh I to me I, I we, we come back in a lot of these AI conversations in with about feedback loops and feedback loops end up being part of the, the uh, difficult and missing piece
4: mm-hmm.
1: I, just, I mean for example like we're, we're not talking about in generative AI actually it's not true it's, some of the stuff I'm seeing is is using multi-path. Or, or they're you're they're doing refining queries on that. It's like, well, that's great, but I wanted more of this in there, or some some using GPT to check check itself. Um, at some point we're going to have to for the generative devops idea. We're we, we're going to have to actually say, well, go do that, and tell me if it works, and then say, oh, I r- I ran that script and it gave me this error. Fix
4: that error. That. I don't know. Uh, I I know ChatGPT is really good when you ask it to produce semantic variations or or or, or, sem- or semantically focused co- uh, content. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, as we've discussed, and as many others have discovered, uh, when it's when it comes to like it can even do syntax reasonably well, uh, but it's failing on the logic aspect. So the the glue that 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 brings syntax and semantics together.
3: Yes, because it has glue. It has it has no logic. And that's the thing. All it does is pattern match. No logic.
1: So is, is how much of the of the operational work that needs to get done is pattern matching versus logic? Because <sighs> I mean, you, you could make that you could make that comment about writing code, and you know, people are finding you know very good, um, you know you know I I've, I've been hearing people raving about the the coding
4: behavior um. yeah uh, I mean for for 80% percent 80 percent of the time it's just gonna be pattern magic or, or uh, pattern matching or, or producing uh, patterns uh and and this is not something new like what in like in programming languages uh we we for pretty much for a long time already uh it, like people have been announcing, okay, like this is the end of the developer job. We're going no code or low code. <laughs> uh, and, and, yeah. and people are, are certainly recognizing that that a large portion of the work is producing or matching patterns. The problem is yeah. that the remaining portion, the logical part is the critical part. And without it, everything else falls apart. Oh, uh, that's true. I, I would
1: argue that, that <laughs> comes back to my example. Go ahead.
4: Go ahead. Now, again, like, that doesn't mean that then that, that interactive AI is useless. Uh, on, I, I would say on the other hand, an expert can, can make great use of it to say, like, J- just the way we already use tools to create templates for us. Like, when I... Yeah. Create a new Helm chart yeah. for a Kubernetes workload. I don't write it from scratch. I, I have Helm, I, I do Helm in it, which gives me a reasonable template and then I modify it. GPT right. would, would be doing something similar, but in a more flexible manner. <laughs> so the as, as benefit from that would be huge, right? If
1: you could actually start prompt in a, you know, I need a Helm chart that installs my SQL and it gave you something that was really good and then as an expert, you could come back and say, now add in this or set these configuration. Like you could actually, through the scheme of it is, like you're not training it at that point. It'd be really cool if you were training it to improve. Um, this is what we're all, everybody's talking about prompt engineering, right? It's,
2: um I think that the biggest benefit in that case, if we take the take the Ansible playbook example, it's not so much the the playbook in terms of the structure itself, because I can either templatize that or whatever it might be, but it's often those small data aggregation things, in my opinion, of like, hey, give me some, create me some inputs for this particular playbook or variables that are associated with it that might require you to, okay, go go research, quote, unquote, this from MySQL docs and iterate and parse through that and give me the 30 inputs that I might think might be useful. I know when I do... Automation development—that's usually the most tedious and painful thing. Not so much creating the structure of the playbook or whatever it might be, or adding a, a, a package resource or some of those things.
0: Well, but I think
1: some of that's thats very patterny, and and it it should be easy to say, you know, build me an Ansible playbook to install MySQL, um, and then have it say and include the package repos for. Um, uh, you know equal or something like apple and and um, and then you can say you know add in user permit you know, set user permissions to this and it could say i it doesn't do it well but you could say you know ChatGPT, gpt you know how how you know show me how to set you know user permissions in for my sql and so that it, it should actually be able to give you that and, I, it, it seems like this is where, if you are the expert, already have the knowledge, using the framework to say, you know, you know, take the playbook you just wrote and add in and make, you know, users, user-setable. Uh, if it can do that,
4: that's hugely powerful and hopefully more accurate. It's like a fancy text-to-speech. Oh, I mean, speech-to-text, really.
1: Mm-hmm. you're taking away the tedium from from the the process right which is back you're you know you're doing the pattern matching part you're leaving the logic to the person but you know some of it's a learned skill on our part
4: yeah and removing the tedium can be incredibly useful uh i I mean how -hmm. how how much of uh of of IT burnout comes from doing the same thing over and over. Without, uh, yeah,
3: are we He's not there yet. cat.
4: Uh, and the the other part also where where genetic system could be useful is um, was troubleshooting. So. So particularly if it's trained on, on, on an existing expert system or, or existing expert knowledge. Um, like a lot of the troubleshooting is, at least with search engines is finding the right search term. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and we know all too well that in many cases that that's just trial and error. Like, okay, this, this exact term doesn't, doesn't match. Let's modify it a little bit here and there. Um, yep. alternative, uh, system would be very well suited, uh, suggesting those alternatives because it is trained on that exact data set. Uh, now again, search engine, search engines have been trying to do the same, but, uh, they're more constrained by being general purpose.
1: So are, are you suggesting you would go beyond like finding the results, but actually ranking or interpreting them?
4: I I would go n- not not just by not not just doing direct queries, but for example, um, let's say let us go on with with the with the example of MySQL. Let's say you deploy it, it's fine, and then your traffic increases increases tenfold, and your performance drops. Like you have frequent queries that take over five seconds. Oh, interesting! Uh, okay. But you don't know where to start. You you, you know the symptoms, but you're not a, an expert. Well, you go to your uh, expert Trendive AI system and say, "Hey, these are these are the symptoms that I'm seeing. What should I be looking for?"
1: So it's, it's actually you- just the idea of saying, you know, what what should I be aware of to tune a Equal system for high performance or for redundancy. Yeah, yeah. Like it is it, you, you you get in, you get into the um um what's the uh, blanking on the word where where it's where it's authoritatively
4: incorrect. Well, um, so so here so that's the thing. Like when you're for troubleshooting, you don't tell it like, "Give me a, a command line to fix this." You you ask me, point me in the right direction to figure out what's going wrong here. So give me ideas. Uh, and, and those kind of scenarios, I think. Oh, that's is an interesting,
1: that's a fascinating idea. Okay. I, I where, think, where you would actually, you would actually say, you know, I'm trying to, to troubleshoot my SQL, what, what what should I try? That's yep. oh, an interesting idea.
4: Yeah. So so basically, have it have it a troubleshooting playbook for you. Oh dear.
3: <laughs> now the the issue with this though, is is it has to have enough training in that area, enough examples that it can do that. But so this is where, for specific areas like ops and things like that, it becomes. Individual companies with experts sitting there uh, training the system on what they consider good items and doing some adversarial stuff, and then selling the, the system to you so you have something to answer to give you answers. So until the training is done, or the prompt engineers have done it, or enough ops folks have said, here is my Ansible playbook, Uh, enhance it so that uh, MySQL scales and enough people have enough different versions of it that it can come back with good suggestions as opposed to lousy, which means that the ops folks are training it saying, no, that won't work, or uh, how about this instead, or whatnot. All that information has to go back into the system and get spread around into the community for it to actually start being useful,
4: uh, and and I think right. that that it actually could be useful because, for example, let's say you you're at a larger company, not necessarily the size of Google, but pretty large, like thousands of of, of employees, and you have several departments, um, and uh, SRE has been troubleshooting issues. Uh, or has started troubleshooting an, an issue, but they're not sure. Uh, they they think another department has seen it before, but they're they're not sure. Or the person who has dealt with it has left the company. There, there would still be a trail of conversations, whether it's chat, uh, or or Slack, or or email, the the, the or, or or even so just some randomly aggregated uh, oh. wiki pages God, you, could, a you could train page, yeah. a large language model system on that as input and say and, and let it find the relevant conversations for you and, and point you in the right direction I mean, and, and you can enhance it with, with, with third party knowledge as well but, but this would, would then let you refine it for your specific use case um
3: hell just think that wiki's could again become useful if you have a, a corporate or a, a, what a wiki uh, the wiki as the the training for the chat GPT uh, and then you literally have a historian for the company
1: mm-hmm.
3: that can answer any question about decisions or designs or stuff like that that have gone in and if you with the wiki you have the full historic repository you'll also have reasons why it was changed and things like that so being that actually seems like a much more useful uh way of implementing generative ai is by saying okay we've I've got this widget here that broke. What can you tell me about how this was designed and what design decisions went into it, and when the last time it was changed?
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I I would say I was thinking more librarian than, than historical than historian. But the historian also has a yeah. good overlap with that.
3: Yeah, both and, of them. And
4: essentially, like, instead of instead of needing to have a data warehouse for your knowledge, you really just have a data dumpster and, and, and let the alternative the AI sort it for you. Yes,
3: yeah, so you dump everything in it so you don't have to – well – a little bit of curation goes a long way in that instance, but you don't have to curate. You just dump everything that's generated in the company, and if you have to keep it anyway for compliance purposes, you might as well get some use out of it.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course, curation will will improve the performance of the system. But even if it's not curated, like even if it's just a like a loose yep. uh, set of of threads and and documents and, and attachments, uh. It, it will likely be able to, to make some sense out of it,
3: And if you build a system which allows curation by the end user, like it, the end user asks a question or goes looking for something and comes back and, and finds this isn't useful or this is wrong, and you let them market in the system as such, then the system has actually been curated by the end user as... Uh, questions get asked of it. So that's actually real generative and really helps in moving the company productivity forward.
4: And you got your your feedback loop there.
1: It it does. The the unease that I have of thinking that your email and your um, and flacks are going to I think this is going to happen but are going to get crawled to provide your, your knowledge base um, is a fascinating, I I can see it being helpful, but I can also see it surfacing all sorts of bizarre and unfortunate things out of, out of those
3: conversations. Well, that's true. But what starts happening is if the uh, corporate community knows that this is uh, going on that—that that all of that stuff is going in as fodder to the dumpster. They will start self-censoring, and all of those things. And
2: unfortunately, they'll take it to different channels, and you lose some of that information.
4: Already
3: already. <laughs> yeah, they'll take it to different. They'll take it to channels outside the company, so the company can't track them.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, no. I mean... But that's—I mean—that's people should know Slack. Everything in Slack is is public searchable and historical. But yeah, it's.
3: But uh, I was back when I was at Andel. One of the things we did is our mail. We had, and it, it's in lots of ways it was like OpenStack. We had specific keys where we would ask a question, and if we thought it was. Part of the design process, we would put like uh, a key, like discussion or something like that, on the top, and that thread would go around and and would get discussed. And at some point, if a decision was made, it would get decision, and so it made it easier to search because it would be in the subject line that that this was an actual decision, design decision that was. Uh, uh, beep out during email and the same with every single uh, paper or discussion via email or whatever that was part of design would go get a design document number so that uh, even emails were saved as documents for the design process. Uh, it all went into a giant email archive and seldom got searched but if if it got searched it would all be in there and this just makes it a lot easier for everybody who either is not interested in the uh the documentation or doesn't have the discipline or doesn't even have uh the expertise to know it's worthwhile
4: yeah uh that is uh, another interesting use case uh, to say, take a conversation about a design decision uh, and produce a formal document out of it or, 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 or exactly. an SOP document or, or whatever else.
1: This is, well, this is, we were, we were just having this conversation with, with our CTO and, um, it was. It was basically like this changes the way we think about documentation and and reference examples and code examples. All of a sudden, you're like, okay, I'm not trying to organize things. I'm trying to make sure that I capture and surface everything, and then you're going to rely on the generative system to um to to understand con to, to find context. Um, which maybe is what we've been talking around this whole time is is. Um, part of DevOps is understanding the context of your operations. But it...
3: well, and see, that's that's the whole issue. Mm-hmm. The the AI doesn't understand context whatsoever. But if you have people who do understand context, they limit the generative AI to the context, and so there's no problem because there's nothing beyond the context. Uh, or nothing significant enough beyond the context to uh, disturb the information that that is returned from the AI.
1: And now, now we're talking through what prompt engineering and the expertise of doing it. That's what part of what I was thinking on this is that the the you know, guardrails and having a more constraints in the system may help you accomplish Accomplish this idea, right? That's, that's right. Just writing a, write a playbook, um, even with some good prompts, might not give you as much garbage, or might not give you as much, but I think every time we add a constraint, going all the way back to Kloss's point, every constraint improves the outcome, is I like guess what we're, what we're assuming.
4: You can still turn off the constraints when you're experimenting. Uh, and and we we've seen that happen in a lot of industries where uh, an in, an industry gets established uh, and and, and puts in rules and regulations for a good reason, uh, and then there comes a newcomer that that ignores all of those and produces a product that is popular, uh, and then that gets um, then eventually adopted by the industry. Um, so. Breaking of the constraints in in the right situations uh can lead to a a leap uh, in 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 technologies, but um, again, you, you need to know when when the constraints are necessary as well.
1: then my, b- my background noise just levels oops, just increased, I think. I like the idea of con- the constraints. Uh, that might be fodder for the next conversation on this.
4: hmm Yeah, we are at the top of the hour. Mm-hmm.
1: All right. Next next week, by the way, we're back to Don't Say Kubernetes. That <laughs> <laughs> that continuing the conversation. Okay. All right, we're at the top of the hour. So everybody, thank you. This is this is an interesting stuff. I'm going to keep iterating and I'll bring it back to the group for more discussion. Thank you, Rob. Maybe some examples. I'll see uh, we're we're doing some research on this, so if I can I'll bring in some some live examples. Cool. See how it goes. All right, everybody. Have a
3: good one. You back too.
0: Month. Cheers. You. Bye. Wow. There are some really fundamental questions that we're asking ourselves during this discussion and that will keep coming back up in the 2030 conversations into the future. If this is interesting to you, we would love to have your in- input on it. If you want to hear about the research that Racken is doing, I will continue bringing that back to the group. And if you have your own exploration and ideas on generative DevOps, we would love to hear them. Please join us at the2030.cloud, and I will see you there. Thank you for listening to the Cloud 2030 podcast. It is sponsored by RackN, where we are really working to build a community of people who are using and thinking about infrastructure differently, because that's what RackN does. We write software that helps put uh, operators back in control of distributed infrastructure, really thinking about how things should be run and building software that makes that possible. If this is interesting to you, uh, please try out the software. We would love to get your opinion and, and, and hear how you think this could transform infrastructure more broadly, or just keep enjoying the podcast and coming to the uh, discussions and you know laying out your thoughts and how you see the future unfolding. It's all part of building a better infrastructure operations community. Thank you.